0: So the big question is this, how do pastors like us who remain focused on the mission of Jesus and serving our communities without being distracted by everything in the world around us, how do we increase our effectiveness while living a lifestyle that doesn't compromise our health, our families, or our personal relationships with Jesus? That's the question this podcast is going to answer. I'm Dr. Brandon Cooper, and welcome to the Ministry Hackers Podcast. Welcome, Ministry Hackers, to this episode of the podcast. I hope you are doing well. I am joined today by my... Good word, good word, good word.
1: No, you just need to have a thesaurus at the ready <laughs> for like a great descriptive word for myself.
0: <laughs> but, well, okay, so honestly, I was going to say by my manly co-host, Matthew Wasbinski, <laughs> and there was just something that caused me to pause, and I'm not really... Well, really this-
1: Should I be insulted by that? Like, why would you? I think it was
0: more on me. I think my brain just lapsed slightly.
1: (laughs) You're like, "Uh, maybe that's not the best descriptive word for was. That's fine.
0: But anyway, how is it going, Matt?
1: It's going pretty well. Um, We are in full fall swing. Uh, I'm actually going to be able to go up north in a couple of days. Uh, I don't know. Is that a Michigan strictly phrase? Like when I say the words "go up north," does that have any collateral for you you guys or any sort of stuff I think for
0: most people you are already north so
1: (laughs) yeah that's the thing is so going up north is like a very incredibly common phrase like if you were to say that to anyone in Michigan like oh yeah we're going up north like they know exactly where you're going and so but I'm realizing that yes, being in Michigan, most people are like you are the North, like that's where you're <laughs> currently located. So,
0: and and really but, honestly, Michigan, you don't get much more North. So the question is, if you're going North, where are you going? You're already well. Well, Michigan. let me explain
1: it this way: like we lived in the Dallas area for a while, and there's still a lot of South to go, and you can get a lot right. more Texas yes. <laughs> than like. No, what I mean, there's a difference between Dallas, Texas. And like San Antonio, Corpus yeah. Christi, like hours,
0: hours exactly.
1: Hours. <laughs> and so that's kind of a similar thing is so we can be like when we're down in the bottom of the mitten, you're still north, but you can go north. Like <laughs> you can go to where like cell phones don't work and it's just trees and trees and trees. So yeah. I'm very excited that we're going north. Uh, it's that time of year where the colors are changing on the trees and it's cold outside, getting a little bit too cold too fast, but overall, I'm pretty excited about it. So that's kind of the thing that's kept been keeping me going for the past couple of days is just like, all right, almost there. Almost there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's there. Mm -hmm. there. And I'm sure Michigan is beautiful at this point. Oh,
1: absolutely. If you ever have a chance to come to Michigan in the fall, I will. Here's the deal. The winter, terrible. The spring, terrible. Like you don't (laughs) want to be here, but from like, June till like end of October, I will put that up against any other place in the country for those seasons because the summers are great. Gets up to like 78 sunny and you have fresh water everywhere. And then in the fall, you have that crisp air, you have apple farms and you have beautiful leaves that change because you're so close to the water everywhere. And then go down South in the winter because it's the worst. But besides that, (laughs) definitely want to come to Michigan in the fall.
0: Nice nice now um, I've been working on the uh, the sermon calendar challenge these last couple of weeks trying to get it ready. Um, you and I kind of talked about it in our last episode uh, the sermon planning process and today what we're going to talk about is how to um, work in story into our sermons and the value of that and and this is a topic that's pretty dear to your heart, correct
1: Oh absolutely I if you could, if this was a job and maybe one day I will create it into a job, but if I could literally just tell people the importance and kind of the fine art that is storytelling, I would love that. That would be like next to telling people about the gospel. Like I think that telling people about storytelling is probably like the second most important thing. Like once you know the gospel, now here's how you communicate it in a wonderful way. Um, And for me, storytelling is just so important. I think that um, it's something that we've kind of lost a little bit. Um, And I don't know if that's maybe because we are not as vocal as we used to be. Uh, You know, a lot of stuff is digital, texting, that sort of thing. Uh, And we've kind of lost the way to communicate a good story orally, um, visually. And so I think that's something that the church, like Big C Church, is lacking quite a bit um and but when you do see it it's really really cool to see. So yeah, it's definitely something I'm passionate about.
0: Now, do you think part of that is because uh a lot of, especially as pastors and ministry leaders, do you feel like some of that is because we just don't have the time to invest in developing those stories and telling them well?
1: I think so. I also think that we maybe have a false idea of what makes a good story. I think that we look at something and we say, "Wow, well we don't have the budget to make a Transformers movie." And right. so we're, so we kind of just say, well, that's not it. Or we've seen people kind of swing the wrong direction with story. And I'm not making fun of these because both our church uses these, but the whole, you know, fog machine and lights and that sort of thing, where we've seen it maybe swing. Um, I don't even want to say too far, but maybe even in the wrong direction where that's become the main focus versus the gospel. Right. And then, which then, leads to the swing in the opposite direction of, okay, well, let's pull away from that entirely instead of questioning, okay, is this not a thing of we should not be doing this, but are we using this tool properly to support what the gospel is versus distract from or try to replace what the gospel is? And so um, I do think there's, you know, there is time that needs to be put into it, but I think it's time, if used properly, that's well invested and will kind of have a good return for you uh, if you do it properly.
0: Right, yeah, I think I agree. I think, and I think you're right. I think some of that is is we put so much emphasis on the production side of storytelling, almost like we can't tell a good story. Without all the production sides of it. But I'm, I mean, I'm sure you can think of, and I know I can, I can think of pastors and sermons that I've heard in the past that were great at telling stories. One of my favorites um, was from Bible college. One of my professors, um, when he would preach, uh, he would weave biblical stories together in such a dynamic way that it just drew you in and it made such an impact when you were hearing it. And so, um, so Dan Crabtree was the professor and I have always loved his sermons and still to this day, he's one of my favorite preachers. And so, so yeah, I just think we've lost a little bit of the value of a good story, oral story without all the production that comes with it. So,
1: mm-hmm. And all those production things can add value, but I think that Um, it's also kind of like the microwave version of story. Like, oh, wow, we can get them with pizzazz. I kind of mentioned Transformers. You know, we can get them with special effects and we can get them with explosions and we can get them with all this, which, yeah, is entertaining, but it's also very fluffy. Versus, you know, you'll notice when movies are nominated for things like Academy Awards and stuff like that, um, very rarely are they the ones that make a ton of money. And a lot of reasons behind that, you can, you know, we can go a very deep conversation about what movies get nominated and why, but a lot of the reasons is because there is that extra fluff where people want to just go and be entertained versus they want to be challenged and think, and that's what helps make a good story. And I think that uh, pastors, especially having the most important story to tell of all time. um, I think that it's a disservice to that to just think of it lightly and say like oh well I'll just kind of regurgitate the information versus tell this in a captivating way right
0: yeah that's true so what we want to do in this episode is we want to give uh, kind of four uh, reasons or, or four ways that that stories can be used to capture uh, the imagination of the congregation and ultimately make sermons more memorable and more impactful uh, when we deliver them and so the first reason is um, that Stories capture the imagination of your congregation and draw them in to the story rather than just giving them information. And I think that one of the things with with scripture, and I think that you know it's not an I don't know, some people will hear this as a critique of scripture, but scripture is not meant necessarily to be this dramatic story the way we think of it today you know, the scripture for the most part, when it was written down and, and captured, it was captured to be information to pass along. And so even when I think of old Testament stories, um, a lot of them aren't filled with a lot of uh, detail that, um, that is supposed to draw you in dramatically. It's just giving the details of what happened. Um, And so, but I think when we tell the story of scripture and we use story to, to, to explain that. Then what it does is it expands the understanding of just what you read. Like I can read a, a, a story in scripture, the narrative of the story and I can get the information of what happened. But when I tell that story and I add in the, the, the finer details and, and what was happening in the feelings and, and maybe the environment or whatever, when I add those in, it makes it more real and almost more relatable uh, to the congregation and so um so just using stories to capture the imagination and draw your congregation in
1: yeah i think that's super important too because um while the gospel itself and the story that god laid out through the history of time is incredibly captivating um we also have to understand who our audience is um it's so funny because my wife ashley will tease me because I'll be talking theology with somebody and she kind of will jokingly talk about how like I'll get super in and focus because someone like cares about what I'm about to talk about. But you know, the casual person, Are you, are you saying that she doesn't? Yeah. I'm Maybe, you know, maybe not as much as I would think, but, but the casual person is not necessarily going to instantly grip on to the story. Right. There's a reason that Jesus shared biblical truths through parables Versus just saying, hey, here are the X's and O's of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. He would start with something that would capture them, relate to them, and then grasp onto their attention and say, I understand that on a conceptual level. Now, let's take this into a deeper spiritual level. And I think that as pastors, we need to be good storytellers so we can do that with our audience as well.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. Well, and it also deepens the points that we're trying to make. You know, a lot of times, you know, we're both in the Pentecostal vein of, of church. And, you know, one of the critiques against Pentecostal preachers is that we make the same point over and over and over again, because we think that somehow it's going to drive it home more when really, if we would use story and it kind of open up the, the emotional uh, heartstrings of of our hearers um, open up that, like you said, that relatability of the story, when we open that up, then it deepens the point that we're trying to make and and we don't need to make the point over and over again we just use a good story and we make the point and then it sticks because people will remember the story more than they will remember the information and so story is great for
1: making our point absolutely yeah if you will even like do a quick little exercise for those who are listening or watching if you think of some of the most powerful sermons that you've ever heard, it's probably a story that you're remembering. Mm -hmm. Um, It's probably the way that it was communicated, not that the gospel was lost or that the story of the Bible was lost, but you remember some sort of thing that how it was communicated, that's what sticks. That's the really thing that sticks. And so I think that that's really what we need to recognize is that when we're communicating to the audience, that's kind of the thing that opens up the door So that the Holy Spirit can then work in the deeper truth that we're trying to communicate. Right. Exactly.
0: Yep. Now, one of the things that we can use and and we should use more often is we should use our own story. All of us uh, as pastors and ministry leaders, all of us have stories. And when we use stories in our sermon, especially our own stories, then it makes us real, more real to our congregation, especially, you know, now more so than probably any other time before we have a generation of millennials and um, and generations behind them that are coming up, and they aren't looking for uh, pastors and leaders who have it all figured out. They're looking for pastors and leaders who can re- they can relate with, who who do have struggles and who are real about their struggles, who are you know overcoming their struggles, but are still real about the fact that that they deal with difficulties. And when we share our own stories, we share our journey into ministry, or we share um, you know our our struggles in our faith, or we share our victories, or we share, you know, what happened on a missions trip. Um, you know, when we were a teenagers, when we share those stories, it makes us as pastors and as leaders, it makes us real to those who are listening to us. It helps them re- relate to us and then also then relate to the sermon and the scripture that we're putting in front of them.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so funny because I feel like as uh, pastors, we have this weird oxymoron <laughs> mentality where we don't want to share our wins because then we're like, Oh, we're taking credit for what God is doing. Right. Like we don't want to brag on like what our church is doing. Cause we're not about the numbers or we're not about this. So we're like, so then we kind of downplay the wins, but then at the same time, we don't want to talk about our losses because we want, you know, we want people to think that things are going well and that why would we ever struggle? Because, you know, following God is so great. And so we end up not telling stories in either direction, just kind of having this vanilla communication style. And one thing that I'm going to get the quote wrong, but essentially what the quote was, was that uh, people will respect you because of your wins, but they'll trust you because of your failures. Yep. Um, and the essential point behind that is that, like you said, we have a whole generation of people who think that the church has basically propped themselves up as these. That's why it's considered you know, hypocritical to be a Christian is because you preach all these things, but yet you are not living in the same way. And I think that the way that we flip that is that we say, uh, I know that I'm flawed. And here are the many ways that I'm flawed and the ways that I'm learning and growing. And by the grace of God, I hope to do better. But you're not kind of broadcasting this false person, but you're saying, hey, I, as your leader, am struggling with this, am working through this, and processing this, and I'm doing my best to be led by God. to where I feel like he's leading us. And so I think that sharing your own story will relate to people, even though there's that constant tug on our egos that say, well, you're the pastor, you're the leader. You can't, you know, you can't be vulnerable. And I'm not saying be unwise. Right. And like, I'm not saying go up this, yeah, go up this Sunday morning and hear the list of everything I've ever done wrong and everything that I struggle with. But I think that you'd be surprised at how much your congregation will get behind you when they say, oh, this is just someone who's called by God, who's one of us. And I think that telling your story is an incredibly powerful way to do that.
0: Well, it can be empowering to those who are hearing us. It can be empowering to them to know that, you know, as the pastor, you're still, you know, figuring it out. You're still working through that sanctification process. And you're not the only one in the room that's figured it all out, you know. And so I think that's empowering to your congregation. You know, another reason to use story inside of your sermons is because it helps in the preparation process. Um, You know, there was a time in my own ministry where I would, um, I would, I would be a little critical of evangelists, and 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 you know, you're smiling because you know exactly where
1: I'm going to go. I I know exactly what you mean
0: (laughs) because you know evangelists, you know they they have a handful of sermons that they that they preach pretty consistently. You know, they're peppered with like. You know, ninety percent of story and ten percent of point, and um, and you know, as pastors and ministry leaders, we're every week trying to come up with new content. And an evangelist walks in and he shares the sermon he's probably preached a hundred times that has very little content and a whole lot of story. And everybody is getting saved and falling on the floor. And and you're like, what What happened here? Like, I'm here every week.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. And and so I was. I've been a little critical of that. You know, in my younger days as a pastor, but what I realized that evangelists figured out is that if they can tell a good story, then they have to, they don't have to spend so much time developing their points and having so many points. They can just tell a great story, hit them hard with the point, and then, you know, give an altar call. And I think that sometimes we make sermon development so complex and difficult And sometimes it's because we're, we're either not using story well, or we're not using story at all. When really, if we would add those pieces in, it enhances our sermons and also helps us in our prep process.
1: Yeah. And I think that what, one thing that I realized, I don't know if I ever shared the story, but I was once working with um, someone who uh, wanted to be in ministry and really, really felt called to speak in ministry. And there were a few times where I would give them the opportunity to share, um, you know, hey, how about you take the lead on this one? Share what's on your heart, you know, every couple of months. And they would always go way over time, way over time. Like we're talking, it was a 30 minute sort of thing. And they like at 45 minutes, 50 minutes, I'm like checking my watch and like, okay, you need to like wrap this up. And the problem that I always found was that they felt like this was their opportunity to get everything that they felt like God was working on them with and on their hearts and all that sort of stuff out and share. Um, And I think that sometimes we as pastors do that as well, where we feel like there's just so much that we want to communicate to our congregation. But I think that if we realize that God has given us the gifts, like I know that sometimes it can be a burden of every single week or you know we're not that evangelist where it's like okay this is your shot um but you can build off of okay what's the one thing that god really wants me to share and then let's really thread this in with storytelling and with well prepared communication um and let's make sure that they get this point and not have here are the 35 things that i want you to learn this week because people are going to forget 30 of those right but like what's the one thing and then how can i power that through great storytelling. So then that that one core thing that I want my congregation to walk away with today is really solidified in there through both scripture and storytelling and all of that. Right.
0: yep yeah. yeah, that's so good. Okay, so Matt, let's give just some practical tips on how to work story into um into our sermons. And so one of the things that I want to encourage uh pastors and ministry leaders to do is to consider the hero's journey. Now the hero's journey has been around for, I, I don't even know, uh, at least a decade or at least, you know, the last 150 years. Yeah, very long. So it, and I'm not sure who originally designed it. And there's several versions out there now um, that, it, you know, it's kind of morphed, but the hero's journey is really uh, this structure of story that's used across the board. It's used in, um, in movies. We see it a lot in our, a lot of our Disney movies. Um, most of our, uh, uh, most of our uh, classic books um, use the hero's journey. And it's really just this, um, this 12-step process or some versions have a nine-step process that just breaks the story down in a, in a way that engages, for whatever reason, engages the, the hearers. And I'm just going to run through it real quick. Um, but it starts out with, um, with our whoever our main character is. starts out in his ordinary world. And then he's called to an adventure. He refuses the call. And then he is met by a mentor, someone who is going to come alongside him. And once he's met by his mentor, then he crosses over the threshold into the special world or, or the ulterior world that he's venturing into. In that world, he comes across tests, allies, and enemies. He's then approached uh, to go into the inmost cave, which is his internal battle, so who that, the character is. He's faced with the main ordeal. So, what is the main issue that the character then has to overcome, or the hero has to overcome? Um, and after that, he then is faced with reward, and then seizing the sword, or or, or coming across his victory, and then after that, after he's you know the hero has come into victory, then there's the road back home, the resurrection of himself. And then the return with Elixir, return with the answer to the problem. And so that's just a real quick rundown of 12 steps of the hero's journey. Now, so so scripture doesn't necessarily follow the hero's journey. However, what you can do is you can take any biblical narrative and you can break it down into the hero's journey by uh, by by rearranging the order in which you tell it. And so we see this sometime in movies too, where we'll see the movie will start off with, you know, maybe we'll start off with the meeting of a mentor, or maybe we'll, we'll start off with um, crossing into the threshold. And then it flashes back to the beginning and works its way from ordinary world through. We can do the same thing with the biblical text. We can tell a hook of some part of the narrative that we're using in, and then we can go back and, and kind of work our way through it. And so even though the biblical narratives don't follow the hero's journey necessarily, there are ways that we can
1: tell the story of a biblical narrative using the hero's journey. And the other thing, too, and I think that a lot of times this is something that we miss in the Bible is that not every story in the Bible is something that we need to point for point emulate. Right. It's not something that we want to do. Some of them are, okay, look at this terrible situation this person got themselves in. Maybe you should, if you would have trusted in God, if you would have listened to God, like you would be out of that situation or you wouldn't be in that situation. So they're not all, hey, be like King Saul <laughs> and wow. you know follow these steps and you yourself will end up stabbing yourself with a sword <laughs> in a cave. Um, but I think that we can still use that, like you said, because there's something about the reason that the hero's journey has lasted for so long. And applies to so many good stories is because there's something primal uh yeah. there's something inside of us that wants that outcome mm-hmm. so when there's something that's contrary to that that's when we say oh that's not fair it's the reason why when you go see a movie like i always tell ashley i would love to see a movie where the bad guy wins and then <laughs> the credits just roll like that's just the movie And I'm like, because that's how it works sometimes. Sometimes the good guy doesn't win and they don't get there in time or the bomb goes off before you can rescue the princess. Like, sometimes that's just how it goes. But the thing is, that movie would make no money whatsoever, because there's something about us that wants to see that redemptive thing. And, you know, if you want to make it spiritual, I truly believe that's because we serve a God of redemption. And so... Even in our storytelling, that's calling out to us. So when we read biblical narratives that's counter to that, you can even use that with your audience and say, Well, why is this not settling the way that it should? Why are we why do we, you know, promote people like David, for example, who sinned and did terrible things, but at the same time had a you know heart after God, because there was that redemptive arc that came through it in the story, and it's something that we find refreshing and something that kind of connects with us on a very core level versus uh, someone like Judas. Like nobody, you know, Judas is probably a very unpopular baby name because like no one sees that as a hero's journey. They see it as something that was not completed. But if Judas was, um, you know, similar to other disciples who maybe disavowed Jesus and then came back to Jesus, like he probably would have been a more complete, Character that people looked up to and admired because he completed that arc of the hero's journey, while some of them are cut short. So it doesn't even have to be like they have to go through all the steps, but find out what steps they did go through and where did they stop and why is that leave that unresolved? And how can we use that story as almost a tale of caution to why we should continue those steps so then we can come to the full realization of what God has for us?
0: Right. Well, another thing, and this is something that I used to teach. uh, our leadership students in in the um, training for ministry is practice reading your narratives in in scripture, practice reading them out loud. Um, This is something that I learned way back when I was first starting out in ministry, because I I mean, I don't know what the narrative or the narrator voice in your head is when you're reading, but most of us, it's not, you know, it's just reading. So, you know, for instance, like if you take the, um, the passage with um, the woman with the issue of blood, um, you know, you can read it. And I think this is how most of us read it in our head. Uh, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Well, I mean, again, for information transfer, that's fine. But when we're delivering that in a sermon, you know, we want to make sure we add to it. And so what I, what I would do and what I encourage students to do is to, you know, take your scripture, take your narrative and stand in front of a mirror And read it out loud with inflection and with energy and with focus and find ways to create the emotion that draws people in. And so, um, you know, so when you read it that way, then you read it just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. It draws you in a lot more. But it's because you've practiced reading it. And so even when you're doing your devotions or you're reading through, you know, some portion of scripture for studying for your sermons, practice reading it out loud and using it with a dramatic flair or a dramatic, you know, inflection to it. And it'll help you when you're telling your stories to not just tell a monotone story.
1: Yeah, and that's great, because I do feel like, once again, I think that sometimes we misuse the storytelling element, so we'll get super excited about our story, or the cool illustration that we have, and we're like, and then he saved a baby from the fire, I can't believe it, it was so great, and just like we see in this scripture, uh, God so loved the world that he gave (laughs) his only, like, know what I mean, where it's like, all of a sudden you're reading, so you were so passionate about the cool story, or this really great illustration that you had, and then you go to the Red right in the butter, <laughs> the big important thing, and then, like you said, you read it because th- that's how the Bible is written. But you can use volume, you can use hand gestures, you can use speed and pace, and all these sort of things to make those words come to life. And you have to remember, you're—it's an audible thing. You're telling people it orally, and they're listening to what you're saying. And so, use those tools to make it a little bit more effective and a little bit more. Uh, easy to grasp on and they can get that point right
0: yep exactly exactly any other tips for you matt that you have just to help integrate good stories into sermons
1: i would say that don't be afraid to listen to people who aren't necessarily preachers and who are just really good storytellers Mm. um like especially nowadays, one of the really cool things about um, kind of the age Mm -hmm. we live in is people can have podcasts and people can have all these sort of things. And you will be, podcasts I've found are very great for communicators, specifically just because they, with only using your voice, you have to be able to keep someone's attention for an extended period of time and tell them the story. So even if it's not necessarily a faith-based or a sermon, maybe listen to some top podcasts and say, okay, how are they using their voice? How are they using storytelling to keep my attention um, strictly by using words and just how they're communicating those words? And then apply that to your own stuff. So uh, I think that sometimes we're like, oh, wow, that person's a great preacher. That person's a great preacher. But like watch something like an apple presentation or something and how they can make microchips and processing speeds and stuff <laughs> like oh wow like i want to hear about this right. because uh just the way that they're presenting it and so um well, and we have something for that yeah exactly and so um use those sort of things to kind of take what you can get from that and then apply it to your own specific arena when it comes to ministry yeah so well, how i
0: Another thing I would say is to read fiction yourself. Um, I know, I know for me, you know, I used to read a ton of fiction in elementary school and middle school and into high school. But then when I kind of flipped the switch to, hey, I'm going to be a pastor. Well, and honestly, once I got into college, then it was all about the textbook and all about the leadership books and self-help books and, you know, theology books and all those things. And I got way far away from fiction books. And what I found is, is I have lost over the years, I lost a little bit of the ability to really draw out a story because most of those books don't have stories. And if they do, they're very short and to the point. Whereas if you're reading fiction on a consistent basis, then it it engages your own imagination so that when you're trying to preach, a, you know, you're trying to add story into your sermons, then you're able to engage other people's imaginations because you're used to engaging your own. And so, you know, reading a fiction book, um, you know, at least, you know, if you have three books you're reading at once, make one of them a fiction book, just 10 minutes a day reading a fiction book, just to keep that imagination piece going, keeping yourself seeing how, from a literary standpoint, how is the author drawing out your, your emotions? How is he pulling you into the story? How is he bringing characters life or settings to life? How does he put you in the spot? Um, that you're reading about, instead of just giving you information, good authors will draw you in to that moment. And that's what we need to do when we're delivering our sermons is how do we tell a story that draws the congregation out of their seat into that imaginary moment that we're using to illustrate our point.
1: Yeah, that's good. I really like the idea of drawing them out. It's the difference between, you know, you could just give them your manuscript and they could read it. Right. And, you know, I'm sure that they would learn a lot and that they would grow a lot. But how do you take that extra step to kind of bring them along for what you're kind of walking through? Like, how do you make them smell the smells and hear the sounds and, you know, be in that moment and because so many of those things are like memory triggers so if you can have people remember how something made them feel because you captured it in such good storytelling then that's going to stick with them much more than just giving them the flat out information right um and so i think that that is a really good point right
0: okay any final thoughts matt
1: no i mean go tell good stories please like it's seriously like just look up storytelling and storytelling just as a whole um like i said i don't think that the church overall has swung too far in the other direction i like to think of it as they swung kind of um maybe just off a couple degrees so use those things like i said nothing against them i use them myself but like you know fog machines and lights and cool audio and all that sort of stuff. Use that to enhance the story that you're telling versus being the thing that people are walking away saying, that was really cool. The lights and the fog and that sort of thing. But you want them walking away saying, wow, that was an amazing experience. That was an amazing story. And those are just things that help prop it up.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Well, and what I would say is, you know, the goal is always a healthy church and a strong church in a, a church that is um, focused on christ and focused on the gospel and reaching our communities well all of that is hinged on the quality of our sunday morning sermons so as lead pastors it can never be overstated how important the quality of the sermon is and i think if we can figure out ways number one again to plan ahead and to get ahead of the process but then also to add in stories, good stories that engage people that make our sermons memorable, uh, that that help reach into the hurts and the pains and the victories and the challenges that people in the congregation are feeling. If we can do use stories to do that, well then it increases the engagement level of our congregations, which then leads to healthier churches healthier communities. And so don't overestimate the quality or or the, the value of putting a good quality story into your sermon every week, if you can. Um, work on storytelling, work on crafting it, working on delivery, um, but just using that to enhance the sermon, to enhance your congregational involvement and engagement in what you're delivering and making a difference in your community through that. So, um, so yeah, so just good stuff. You and I both love a good story. um, And so just hope everybody out there, this is helpful. Um, Again, like Matt said, just look up storytelling, do some studying, do some practicing, get in front of the mirror and read your Bible um, and you'll get it figured out just like the rest of us are. And so, um, so I hope you guys do well, have a great rest of the week and I'll see you in the next episode.